Studying history is more than poring over textbooks and old documents. In today's edition of Intersections, the RIT podcast, history professor Richard Newman and humanities professor Lisa Hermson talk about place-based learning, which gets students into the community to experience where the history happened. Let's talk about our NEH grant on place-based classroom experiences. This was a new program that the National Endowment for the Humanities was running, and it's called Humanities Connections, and they wanted to create new ways of deploying humanities and social sciences uh, instruction by getting people off campus and into places, and so we proposed this really great program uh, that had three different classes and uh, brought students to a bunch of locations uh, in Rochester, really made the city a center of all of our classroom experiences. The grant was called Community Memory and Sense of Place, and I will just say that because my class was Rochester Reformers, we got to talk about Frederick Douglass, Susan B. Anthony, uh, and other uh, lesser-known Rochester Reformers, but uh, a lot of the class focused on Frederick Douglass and the statue that's dedicated to him in Rochester, so we had students who visited that statue visited his gravesite in Mount Hope Cemetery. We read some of Frederick Douglass's classic writings. We talked about his importance locally and nationally. And what I learned is that most students think of Frederick Douglass as a national reformer and not someone who lived in Rochester. They're often familiar with him from their high school history classes. So if they've come from Massachusetts or New York City or Virginia, their textbooks would say Frederick Douglass lived in New York, not Rochester. So to allow these students who aren't from the city to learn that Douglas spent all of his uh, reform time here before the Civil War was really illuminating. And they walked away thinking that Rochester was a really dynamic and important place in the 19th century. You also did more than just study textbooks or his, his autobiography. You had students in archives. You had students out in the area looking at the monument. You had people come in to talk about it. So I think it was really interesting to see students from your class and, and the other classes sort of had a different approach to it. But to see students in a history class not sitting in chairs with an, a lecture in front of them, but to be in the archives, to be out in the city, and, and to have that experience of having people from the city come in and talk to them. So I don't, you know, if you want to talk more about how all of that came together or other kinds of teaching methods that you were using to get that kind of place-based pedagogy really um, working for your students? Well, for me, the place-based pedagogy was making Rochester the star of the classroom and all the historical inhabitants. So we made Frederick Douglass come alive. Like you said, we weren't just in the classroom reading his documents and listening to lecturers. Uh, I taught the class a couple of times, and so I had present-day community activists come in and talk about the meaning of Frederick Douglass today in the 21st century, we had descendants of the Frederick Douglass family come in and visit and talk about what they're doing to enhance the struggle for civil rights in Douglass's name today. So that was a real eye-opener for the students, too. I want to follow up on that. I really think that it is amazing that you were able to get Frederick Douglass family member descendants into your classroom talking to your students and and what that must have been like for your students to to have that experience. And, and they only would have that experience in Rochester. And so that's the kind of unique connection that I think is interesting. A lot of things came together. You're absolutely right. It was not just that we were lucky enough to get the Douglass descendants to Rochester, his former home, but 
uh, all of the Douglas descendants and people interested in Douglas were thinking about him in 2018 when we were teaching these courses because it was the bicentennial of his birth. He was born in 1818. And so in 2018, there were all these national and international events. And the Douglas family decided that this was a great moment to come back to Rochester and move their uh, foundation here. So we could invite those people to our class to talk about the meaning of Douglas today, uh, what Douglas did to spur the fight for civil rights in the 19th century, how people in the 20th century remembered that, and what they're doing today to push forward the struggle for justice. So the students really loved having someone come to class saying, Frederick Douglass was my great, great, great grandfather. They felt like they touched history. And today, Frederick Douglass has that symbolic power that someone like Abraham Lincoln or George Washington does. He's one of our nation's uh, founding fathers of civil rights. So they really liked getting into Frederick Douglass's life in Rochester. I also liked that they were able to touch the future by having the family come in and talking about what their goals were now in terms of moving abolition from the time of Frederick Douglass to our day and still working at abolition in the global slave trade. So can you talk a little bit about how your teaching of history connects in this place, in Rochester itself, the you know, the local and the global, the past and the present and the future. Well, Rochester was not only an entrepot of abolition, but women's rights, religious reform. So students in the class that I taught, Rochester reformers, could find some topic that they were interested in then uh, resonated today. So we didn't just talk about racial justice. We talked about women's voting rights. We talked about uh, religion and society. We talked about technology and reform. But what was really interesting uh, about the the topics that we did on Frederick Douglass, uh, they resonated with a lot of RIT students for different reasons. We have students who study criminal justice. We have students who are interested in the digital divide. We have students who are interested in becoming lawyers and fighting the global slave trade. So these are the issues that the Frederick Douglass Family Foundation is interested in today. They've been fighting the modern-day slave trade and sex trafficking. So we had students in class who were really interested in the way that connected with their interests. We had students in class who wanted to talk to the Frederick Douglass family descendants uh, about racial justice initiatives today, uh, educational equity, uh, what's going on in Rochester in certain neighborhoods in terms of police violence, police reform, police community relations. So it ended up being a, a class that allowed us to talk not only about history, but the way that these historical figures and movements are still relevant to today. And I think they, they liked that, too, because for so many people, Rochester's heyday was in the past. It was a great reform city, but that was the 19th century. Rochester was a great city of innovation, but that was the 20th century. And when they see uh, how powerful all of those movements and eras were, they can say, in the 21st century, we can make Rochester powerful again. We can make it a really great site of community activism, of community reform, of place-based education. So... Everything that I learned in that class, I've imported into my other courses as well uh, in terms of making Rochester topics come alive. I don't teach anything now that doesn't in some way, shape, or form come back to local history. Right. I, in my class, it was really great because we were teaching literature geographies, which is, to simplify, sort of putting a story with a map. <laughs> and so one of the things we did, though, is read Jerry Manjun's um, Mount Allegro, which was written about Rochester 
Um, it's a kind of creative autobiography, but it was written about immigration, um, especially Italian immigrants. And so what that allowed my students to do is read that, and then we sort of mapped where where were the tailor shops? Where was this you know grocery store that he talks about? Where was and is it still there? What about this church? Is this church still there? And I had students really interested in, well, let's go find that church and see if we can see what its history is. Um, and, then, and then start talking about, well, what other churches were in that neighborhood at that time? And I, you know, I had students saying, well, when churches come and go, is that a part of immigration? And to start thinking about modern immigration and, and, and where, the, where immigration is happening today in Rochester and what that does for the landscape and the mapping. And we also then started talking about redlining and redlining districts um, and how that changed um, immigration, how it changed populations in different parts of Rochester City. So again, it's you know students who are really interested in public policy and criminal justice and other kinds of economic issues and, and livelihoods eventually would, would come in and say, oh, wow, like I didn't know about this. I didn't know about these banks, these loaning policies. And, and so we had a, a lot of interest in, in such a wide area just from reading one one piece of literature from, from immigration. So I think, you know, it was bringing students from one place of interest to a local, to a global, and having them sort of understand why, why humanities matter so much um, and how it required them to think differently and to read differently, but also to, because it was so concrete, to understand why that mattered. And I think that was the big takeaway for me, is that my students understood why thinking through humanities mattered to them later on and in their careers that they'd be going into. This is why I think the humanities are so important, especially at a place like RIT, because when you think about what we did with place-based education, we made Rochester's history vibrant and dynamic and alive. And what we were trying to teach students is first of all, respect Rochester's history because you can learn a, a lot about it. So when we went to the public market and High Falls and went past uh, the Erie Canal, we could say these are the things that helped build Rochester as an innovation city, a reform city. But what we also wanted our students to learn is that when they go on their co-ops, when they go on their jobs, wherever they are, if it's Silicon Valley or Chicago or Alabama or India, they're going to a place that is rich in history and they should respect yes. what local people yes. think about history, design, environment, and they and could these, learn that first here in Rochester. Right. And these industries have histories. So yes. Bosch and Lom, my student who, who went and researched the Bosch and Lom story, um, you know, from each perspective and, and where, where its first headquarters were and then where it moved and then where it moved again. And the idea that, that this is some place that, that she, you know, she was an optics student and just um, her excitement at understanding the history of Bausch and Lam, not just, oh, this is sort of what it is today. Um, and, and to see students get excited about the stories um, that come with a public place and then be able to t take those stories and think beyond that into their own world and a global community, um, again, I think that having that place-based pedagogy in the humanities is so important. Yeah, we found that in our humanities classes, we could create a lab-like environment where the students were experimenting, learning on the job, realizing what we do in our own professions as an historian or a literary geographer. You know, you do original research, you're 
uh, always looking to contextualize things. They were part of the narrative we were building about Rochester, and they were really excited about that. And I think having students say, I thought differently during this class. I, I, I didn't have to think this way when I was in my engineering class. Um, I think those kinds of experiences for students are so valuable. I'll just uh, end with what I think is a really interesting uh, note from a student in the Rochester Reformers class I taught this time around. So it was the second time I taught the course uh, in the three-year grant. And I had a student who researched voting rights uh, issues in Rochester in the 1960s, one of the first voting rights challenges for Puerto Rican immigrants uh, occurred in Rochester in 1965. And I didn't even know about this. And my student did some research on this. She has Puerto Rican family members, and she wanted to do something that was close to her community uh, interests. And so she did research on this really important court case, which expanded the definition of voting rights beyond black and white and is very relevant today. And I thought, I'm supposed to be the expert in this subject. And she just taught me about all the history I didn't know, even in Rochester. And so I think that ultimately is what the project was so good at, is making us all feel like we were looking at the city with a new pair of eyes. And like you say, hopefully moving forward, we can expand on some of those experiences for new generations of students. Thank you for listening to Intersections, the RIT podcast, a production of RIT Marketing and Communications. To learn more about our university, go to www.rit.edu. To hear more podcasts, subscribe to Intersections on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, or SoundCloud, or by visiting www.rit.edu slash news slash podcasts.